Let's pray together. Now, Father, you are good. And Father, you are goodness itself. And Father, we want to be like you. But Father, we know that we fall short. Father, we know that we can never be good enough to deserve what you have done for us. Never be good enough to deserve the grace that you've given us. Never be good enough to be worthy of the sacrifice that you made through Jesus Christ for us. Father, help us to put our hope in you and your goodness and your mercy. And Father, help us to take that hope to those who are hopeless. And Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, this is the eighth and last sermon in this sermon series. In the Say What? Does the Bible Really Say That? series. I want you to know that I really appreciate all of the comments and the feedback that I've received over the last couple of months as we've been looking at these common Christian cliches and asking the question, does the Bible really say that? We've looked at cliches like, just follow your heart, and God has a plan for your life, and God will never give you more than you can handle. We've also asked if the Bible really says that everything happens for a reason, or that God just wants you to be happy, or that you shouldn't judge, or that you have to forgive and forget. I want you to know that if you missed any of those sermons and you would like to hear them, like to catch up with the series, they're all available as podcasts on our website. So please go there and catch up if you need to. And we're going to end the series today by asking if the Bible really says that being good is good enough. And being good is good enough really isn't a common Christian saying so much as it is a common Christian belief. Many Christians believe that the most effective defense that they will be able to offer when they're called before God is that they have been good enough. In fact, many of us behave as if our salvation is dependent on being able to present clear and convincing evidence to the judge that we have been good people. And the problem with believing that being good is good enough to gain entrance into heaven, and the problem with believing that being good is good enough to earn salvation is that the Bible doesn't say that. And because this belief and because this behavior, because this misperception deals with salvation, being good is good enough is the most dangerous of all the cliches. It's the most dangerous of all the Christian misperceptions that we have considered during this series. And I think that we can all agree that when we're dealing with salvation, when we're talking about our own salvation and the salvation of others, We want to make sure that the Bible really does say that. And the Bible never says that being good is good enough. And this misperception is especially dangerous because it leads two very different group of people to draw two very different but equally dangerous conclusions about being good enough. This misperception is dangerous because it leads the group of good people the group of people who generally do good things and generally lead good moral lives, it leads them to have misplaced hope 
to place their hope in their own goodness. Many of you have probably heard about the giving pledge. The giving pledge is a commendable effort. It's encouraging billionaires from around the world to commit to giving at least half of their wealth to charitable causes. So people like Bill and Melinda Gates and David Rockefeller and Warren Buffett have all made that pledge to give at least half of their wealth to charitable causes. And something that Warren Buffett said when he made the pledge really caught my eye. See, Warren Buffett pledged to give over $37 billion to charity. And listen to what he said when he made that pledge. Here's his quote. He said, there's more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. And make no mistake, the giving away $37 billion to charity is a really good thing. But believing that a good thing, even a $37 billion good thing, believing that that's going to pave your way to heaven is bad theology. It's misplaced hope that being good is good enough. And the danger of this misperception isn't just because it leads good people, the people who generally do good things and who generally lead good moral lives. It's not dangerous just because it leads them to have misplaced hope. It's also dangerous to the so-called bad people. It's a dangerous misperception because the group of people who generally have done bad things and have, had, have led bad moral lives, they, lead, they have no hope. They believe there is no hope. See, they believe there's no hope for them because they haven't been good enough to have any hope. And I want you to know that I have a deep concern for both of these groups. I have a deep concern for those of us who deal with misplaced hope. And I have a deep concern for those of us who feel hopeless. And to help us get a clearer understanding of these two groups and to get a better appreciation for the dangers of this good enough theology, let's listen to Jesus tell a story. I'll be in the Gospel of Luke. I'll be in the 18th chapter if you'd like to read along with me. Luke chapter 18, I'll begin reading in verse 9. So to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. Well, let's stop there for a moment. So who is this man who is praying? Who is this Pharisee? Well, he's a good man. He's a religious man. He's someone who does good things. But he also happens to be the poster child for the misplaced hope of the good. Now, unlike Warren Buffett, this man would never say that there's more than one way to get to heaven. He would not say that. He would more likely say that there is only one way to get to heaven, and the way to get to heaven is doing what he is doing. He said, I'm doing 
good things. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. His hope is in being good enough, but it's a misplaced hope. It's a hope that's placed on doing enough good things. It's a hope placed on stacking enough good deeds on God's scale of justice to earn salvation. It's believing that when I'm called before God as my judge, my very best defense is that I have been good enough. My best defense is that I've done enough to justify myself. And the way that I know that I'm good enough is by comparing myself to others. It's by measuring my goodness against the goodness of others in a way that makes me seem good. And in a way that makes me feel good. Because, you know, when I'm comparing myself to those bad people, then I become very confident that I'm good enough. Thank God I'm not like those bad people. Thank God I'm good enough. And when I seek to justify myself, when I try to tip the balance in my favor with my good deeds, when my hope is being better than those bad people, when I try to climb my way to heaven by being good enough, well, then my stairway to heaven depends on my ability to build enough stairs with my goodness to reach heaven. Yeah, sure, I know that I don't really know where heaven is, but I know I'm going to have to build a lot of stairs to get there. And yeah, I know that I really can't climb all the way to heaven with my goodness. But I have confidence. I have confidence that even though I can't be good enough, I can't be perfectly good, I know I can't be perfect. So then I thank God for his grace, his grace that is there to take me those last few flights of stairs if I'm just good enough. That's the misplaced hope of the good. But this good man is not the only man in Jesus' story. There's also a bad man. And let's learn a little bit about him. In verse 13, Jesus continues on with his story and he says, But the tax collector stood off at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Now to our 21st century Western ears, calling someone a tax collector doesn't really sound all that bad, does it? But to Jesus' first century Jewish audience, being called a tax collector, being a tax collector, was about as bad as it gets. See, he's a fellow Jew, but he's working for the hated Roman government. He's working for the occupying government. He's working for the harsh and oppressive Roman government. And his job is to collect taxes from his fellow Jews and keep some of that money for himself and give the rest of the money to the hated government, to Rome. So in this story, when you hear tax collector, you should think traitor. You should think turncoat. You should think villain. 
See, he was a bad man, and he had no way to justify his actions. He had no way to justify himself. He's the poster child for the misplaced hopelessness of the bad. See, he knows that when he's called before God for judgment, he has no defense because he hasn't been good enough. In fact, he knows that he's been so bad that there isn't any way that he can ever be good enough. He can't fast often enough. He can't give a high enough percentage of the money that comes into him to tip the scales in his favor. He knows that he can't ever be good enough. And because he hasn't even begun to build a stairway to heaven with his goodness, surely God's grace can't be enough to carry someone like him who's stuck in the basement all the way to heaven. Could God have mercy on me, even though I am a sinner? Could God really have mercy on me, even though everybody knows that I'm not good enough? See, the tax collector sees in himself what the Pharisee sees in him and what everybody else sees in him. They see that his badness is a barrier maybe an insurmountable barrier in the way of his salvation. But what the Pharisee doesn't see, in fact, what no one sees except Jesus, is that there's also a goodness barrier that's in the way of the good man's salvation. And I want you to know that really catches my attention. Catches my attention because I'm also a good man. I do good things. I read my Bible and I even report my results online. That's how good I am. I come to church even when I'm not required to be here. I give my money to the church. I'm not like all those bad people. It makes me nervous when a story is told by Jesus and I have more in common with the Pharisee than I do with the tax collector. And that's why it scares me to hear what Jesus says at the end of his story. Verse 14. He says to those who are gathered around him, he says, I tell you that the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, that scares me because I feel like Jesus is speaking directly to me. And he's letting me know that I'm not building a stairway to heaven with all of my goodness. No, instead, what I'm often doing is I'm really building a wall between me and my God. I'm building a wall between me and my Savior. I'm building a wall between me and salvation. I'm building a goodness barrier. It's like this, when I focus on the steps that I need to take to build a wall to be good enough, not to build a wall, to build stairs to be good enough, when my focus is on justifying myself with my goodness, I'm building a goodness barrier between me and my God. 
when I rely on what I'm doing to justify myself, then I forget what God has done to justify me. I forget what God has done to bring mercy to me, a sinner. I forget what God has done to bring mercy to me, someone who will never be good enough. This is a powerful and convicting story for those of us who think that we can be good enough because it reminds us that we can't be good enough to justify ourselves. It's also a powerful but hopeful story for those of us who feel hopeless because we know that we will never be good enough. Because it reminds us that we can't be so bad that God can't justify us. A little bit later on in Luke, Luke tells us about an encounter that Jesus had with a rich young ruler. It's a rich young ruler who wanted to know what he had to do to be saved. What he wanted to know was how good is good enough to be saved. And even though the young ruler had been very good, Jesus told him that he hadn't been good enough. Let's listen to that encounter, beginning in Luke chapter 18 and verse 18. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. Oh, all these I've kept since I was a boy, the young man said. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then those who heard this asked, Well, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Well, what does Jesus say about being good? Well, he says, no one is good except God alone. No one is good enough except God alone. See, instead of comparing my goodness to the bad people who are around me, I really need to be comparing my goodness to the goodness of God. And when I start comparing my goodness to the goodness of God, I realize that I'm not good enough. I realize that no one is good enough. Not the Pharisee who fasts twice a week and gives a tenth of everything he has. Not the young ruler who's kept the Ten Commandments for his entire life. And certainly not the preacher who does good things and comes to church even when he doesn't have to. And who reads his Bible and actually reports his results online. 
None of us are good enough. Which brings us to the question that those around Jesus asked, who then is good enough? The answer is no one is good enough to be saved. The answer is it's impossible to be good enough to earn God's salvation. And that could be really depressing, couldn't it? That could be really depressing if Jesus didn't reassure us that what is impossible for man, what's impossible for us, is possible with God. See, we can't be good enough, but our God is more than good enough. Our God is goodness itself. Salvation isn't something we do. Salvation isn't something we build. Instead, salvation is a miracle that God performs for us. See, if we could be saved by being good enough, Jesus wouldn't have needed to die. And Jesus did die, and he did die for us because we weren't good enough. Yeah, normally being told you're not good enough is something really depressing to hear. It's a complete downer to be told you're not good enough. But the message of Jesus, the message of the cross, is good news. In fact, it's great news for all of us who know we're not good enough. Which means that it's great news for all of us. It's great news for those of us who have generally done good things and led good moral lives. And it's great news for those of us who have generally done bad things. And led bad moral lives. It's great news because Jesus didn't come to save people who are good enough. After all, if we're good enough, we don't need saving. No, Jesus came to save the dead. And we were all dead in our sins. Paul puts the good news this way in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you were all dead in your transgressions and your sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The good news is that God has made us good enough. Not through anything that we did. No, God has gifted us his goodness. And he did it through his son. He did it through Jesus Christ. Paul wrote this in the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians. He said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus didn't come to help us become good enough He came and he took on our sins so that we could live again in the very goodness of God. And it's amazing to think that when God looks down on his children, when God looks down on those who have obeyed him by joining with Jesus in his death and his burial and his resurrection, when God looks down on those who have joined with Jesus Christ and clothed themselves with Christ, he doesn't see our sin He doesn't see that none of us are good enough. 
Instead, when he looks at his sons and his daughters, he sees his son. He sees Jesus Christ. That's the great news that Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 3 when he writes this. He says, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. The good news is that God sees goodness in us when we're clothed with his good son. And that's good news for all of us. It's good news for those of us who have misplaced our hope in being good enough. But it's also a call. It's a call for us to replace the hope that we have in our own goodness and instead place our hope in our merciful God. See, for those of us who are relying on our own goodness, it's a call for us to echo the tax collector's cry, to beat our breast and crawl on God, have mercy on us, for we, too, are sinners. And it's good news for those of us who feel like we have no hope. No hope because we haven't been very good. It's also a call for us. It's a call for those of us who feel hopeless to grab hold of the hope that's offered by God through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to restore the hope of the hopeless. For those of us who feel hopeless, this is a call for us to also echo the tax collector's cry. To also beat our breast and call on God to have mercy on us, for we too are sinners. And for those of us who haven't been clothed with Christ, it's also a call to put on Christ. It's a call to clothe ourselves with Christ. It's a call to become a son or a daughter of God through our faith in Christ Jesus. It's a call for us to join in Christ's death and in Christ's burial and in Christ's resurrection by being baptized into Christ. There's hope for the hopeless, and it's only through Jesus Christ. And for all of us, this is a call to put our hope in Jesus, Jesus who is more than good enough. Will you pray with me? Father, have mercy on us, for we are sinners. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his blood. Thank you for his sacrifice. Father, thank you for giving us hope where there was no hope. And Father, help us to put our hope in you and you alone. Not to trust in our own righteousness, but to place our faith in your righteousness. Help us to recognize that we can never be good enough. Father, we are humbled to know that even though we're not good enough, you loved us enough to send your son so that he through his sacrifice, 
would justify us. Father, help us to have great compassion for the hopeless. Father, help us to carry the hope of Jesus Christ to those who have no hope. To show them that what is impossible with man is possible with you. And Father, it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So I want to end by asking you, where is your hope? And if your hope is in yourself, if your hope is in your goodness, I want to beg you to replace your hope. To place your hope in your God. To place your hope in his mercy, to place your hope in his grace. To cry out to your God, have mercy on you, for you are a sinner. And I also want to ask, are you here and do you feel hopeless? Do you feel hopeless because you have been bad? If you feel, if you feel hopeless, I want to tell you that you can restore your hope. But you can only restore your hope through Jesus Christ. And the beginning point of restoring your hope is to cry out to your God, God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. And if you haven't clothed yourself with Christ, if you haven't joined with Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection, if you haven't been baptized with Christ, and you need to do that. It's not time to wait any longer. It's time to clothe yourself with Christ so Christ will look down on you and see his good son. So that you can live with the glorious hope that only comes through Jesus Christ. So whether you need to replace your hope or you need to have your hope restored, I want you to know we want to help. We want to walk along beside you. We want to walk along beside you as fellow sinners who are placing our hope in Jesus Christ, who are placing our hope in our God. But to help you, we need to know that you need our help. So whether you need to replace your hope or restore your hope, won't you let us know? And you can do that in a few different ways. We're going to stand and sing a song. And during that song, I encourage you to come to the front and let us know what your needs are. If you're not comfortable coming to the front in this crowd, I want to encourage you to make your way to the back. Ask someone where you can find the library. And in that library, you'll find one of our elders and his wife. And they would love to talk to you about replacing and restoring your hope. Or you can simply take one of those green cards that you'll find in front of you. If you write on that card, please have an elder or a minister contact me and write your phone number on it. Rest assured we will do that. We'll do that as soon as is, as is humanly possible. Because we want you to have the hope that only comes through Jesus Christ. Whatever your needs are, won't you let us know while we stand and we sing this song together. Say, Lord, like a shepherd,